If you are uh, first time with us or visiting with us, what we do here at the Parks Church is preach through books of the Bible. We find ourselves in Hebrews. We, we have made it through two chapters in five weeks, which is, which is rolling for, for our group. Um, and so today we are going to dive into Hebrews chapter three. Uh, the text today, though, starts out with a, with a therefore. And, and we've talked about this before. You may have heard this where you see a therefore. You really under, need to understand the context behind it because that context is going to help us really understand what that what that text is, is going to be. So just a, a, a quick recap on what we've gone through so far. Uh, the book of Hebrews starts out with uh, the writer uh, talking about Jesus being better than the angels, uh, Jesus' superiority to the angels. The angels are these amazing pieces of God's plan, but Jesus as, as better than that. Uh, we then looked at uh, the warning around drifting from the things that we learn, the things that we know from, from Scripture and how dangerous that can be and how we have to be on guard uh, to, to protect ourselves from, from drifting. And, and then we looked at Jesus as founder, founder of our faith and, and being the cornerstone of that. And then last week, Kyle walked us through uh, this, this fitting nature of God's plan that Jesus would become a man, that he would become like us in every way, that he would come to earth, walk the earth, die um, and be raised from the dead, and, and how that was part of God's plan. And so now we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 3. So if you want to grab your Bible and stand with me as we read God's Word this morning, if you don't have your Bible, it will be behind me here on the screen. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right, so as we've unpacked over the last handful of weeks, we see that the conclusion of Hebrews and, and, and what Hebrews is making the case for is that Jesus is better, and he's better than all of these things. And as we've gone through the text, we've, we've seen that. And, and chapter 3 finally introduces uh, the imperative of Hebrews, or, or the ask, as it were, which is to consider Jesus. Hebrews has been implicitly asking this as we've gone along, uh, but chapter 3 is going to walk through uh, what it looks like uh, to consider Jesus and, and why we should do that. And, and it's, it's an interesting thing because uh, the Hebrews is written to Christians. So haven't, as a Christian, haven't we already considered Jesus? Like, isn't that something that we do when we put our faith in Jesus? And, and now we're, we're off to, to something else. So we're going to need to wrestle through uh, what it means then uh, and unpack it. And those reasons are going to become clear as we as we go along, but it's going to be key to us really understanding the, the rest of Hebrews, what, what this means 
uh, to consider Jesus. Uh, but first, some context. Uh, if you look at your Bibles, it, it says there at the top of chapter 3, Jesus greater than Moses, right? And so he's using this, this comparison of Moses. Uh, why would he choose Moses uh, is, is something that we need to, to look at really briefly to understand the impact and how these, how these people would have actually uh, heard this, right? So like the, the angels from, from chapter 1, I doubt, I doubt many of you struggle with whether Jesus is greater than Moses, right? But, but these were Jewish Christians. Their entire faith is built on uh, the work of, of what God did through uh, Moses. And so I want to really quickly go through Moses's resume, uh, the highlights, if, it, if, if you were. I had to trim this down to six, uh, but we're going to go through the highlights of, of Moses's resume so that we can understand uh, when the Jewish Christian hears Moses, what, what are they reminded of? So let, let's go that. We'll have that on the screen behind me. So uh, first off, he freed the, the people from Egypt, right? Most of us are familiar with this story, uh, the Exodus story of Moses freeing uh, the people from Egypt, 430 years of slavery. Uh, just as an aside, th- that's almost twice as long as the United States has been in existence, right? So as I was thinking about what's a parallel culturally for us in terms of how we view people that they would have viewed Moses, we don't have one. So we don't have a cultural comparative uh, to how they would have viewed Moses. Uh, he parted the Red Sea, kind of a, kind of a big deal. He, he received the Ten Commandments, and he wrote the Torah, the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of our Bible uh, are written by Moses and would have been memorized by most of these hearers. They would have known it backwards from the beginning to the end. Um, all of their life would have been based uh, mainly on those texts. He established the law, including the sacrificial system that we reference so often. A lot of the gospel message has, has to do relating back to how they would have understood the sacrificial uh, system. He established them as a nation. So pre- prior to this, you had uh, this kind of clan thing going on. And then he set up their society. So everything from their calendar to how, how the courts worked, how they viewed the world, came from uh, the work that Moses did. So under anyone, any earthly consideration, Moses is a, is a pretty big deal, right? Even, even from, from our context. Uh, but that's not actually the source of Moses' honor. And this, this is something that the Jewish people uh, would have known. Uh, where Moses gets his honor is what God says about him. So let's look at that really quickly from, from Numbers. And he said, hear my words. This is God speaking. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Remember our, our text from today. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. He's in the, in the Lord's presence. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? This is God saying what he thinks about Moses, and these, these Jewish Christians uh, would have known this, would have known this. But while that's true, uh, these early Christians were struggling. There, there, was, there was a couple of different perspectives that were challenging within their context. One context is that because of all of that, because of all of these things that Moses has, has had done and, and the, their society being shaped in such a way for Moses' work, 
they're really struggling. They, they understand Jesus, they believe in Jesus, but, but they're having to let go of this thing that, that, that they held with such uh, great honor and to put him in the proper place. So you had this, this one side who was having a difficult time letting go of Moses. You had the other side who welcomed Jesus. They, they, the law was very oppressive. They, they didn't like the way that, that society was set up. So what Jesus, the message that he brought, uh, was one, of, was one of, of, of freedom to the degree that they could discard their tradition. They could discard that the work that Moses uh, did in terms of his role in God's plan. So you have these, these kind of things going back and forth, and it's similar to, to some of the things we deal with today where, where we're trying to understand the difference between grace and works and how those things you know, fit together, but there was some cultural battling going on. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that the early church got all these denominational issues worked out, you know, so that we can be in, uni- yeah. So, all right, so let's look at, let's look at verse one and two and start to unpack this and, and get a picture for uh, what the Lord is saying. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. So we saw last week, and this is kind of pulling that context in from what we've been uh, going through, that Christ is not ashamed to call us brother and sister. He's not ashamed of that. The, the, the opening here really sets the tone. Uh, they would have read all of this in one setting, so kind of remember the power of what he was talking about in Jesus calling us brother and sister uh, last week. It's the only time these two words, holy brothers, are really setting the tone for, for who he's talking to here, uh, are used. Um, and this is a reminder of, of who God uh, says that they are, which is, which is extending to us. So after uh, opening with this baseline, which is saying something about how God considers you, the writer lays out the ask. We see it here, uh, consider Jesus, uh, which is going to require a response as as we, go, as we go along. The writer reminds us here of the functions that, that make that possible. So they're teeing up Jesus as both the apostle and the high priest. So these, they would have understood this in relation to Moses. Moses was both uh, a, a prophet. He brought the word of God, and he was also um, a mediator for God's People, without these two things, we really don't get off the starting blocks. So we as, as human need these two things from God. We need to hear from God, and we need to be reconciled back to God uh, because of our, our sinfulness. So our, uh, the writer is saying here that Jesus is both the revelation from God and the way to God, and he's faithful as Moses was faithful. So there's a comparison here before he gets into contrasting what the difference is between Jesus and Moses. And, I, and that's a theme that runs throughout these six verses. He is not diminishing Moses. He is putting Moses in his proper place. Okay? So because Jesus' prophet has revealed God's plan, is the high priest, has made propitiation for us, fancy word we learned last week, right? Um, where uh, Jesus is the appeasement for God's uh, wrath against our sin, he, he makes a way then here. And then extends this invitation for us to consider him and for us to respond to that. So as we unpack what it means to consider Jesus, uh, our posture should be uh, one of increasing humility. Our, our ability to do that comes from his work, not our ability or our intellect. Okay, so let's look at uh, verses 3 and 4. 
keep going. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So here's where the contrast starts. Uh, The writer isn't saying that Moses isn't worthy of glory. He's just saying that Jesus is worthy of more glory because Jesus is the builder of the house. I see this I see this come up in, in my kids sometimes. So, so I will hear my kids talking, and, and nothing is more fascinating than hearing two nine-year-olds in a conversation. Very interesting. Uh, and, and they're talking about their house and their clothes and their room and their bed and their fire pit, whatever, right, in, in the context of, of, of theirs, right? Now, you and I both know that they didn't lift a finger to build the house that we live in. Their mother and I, uh, through the Lord's provision, uh, built the house. The kids are an important part of our, our family, uh, but they, they are not responsible for, for building the house, and no rational person is going to come up to them and congratulate them for all of the hard work that they did to build this house that they so you know, gratefully claim is theirs. But in this analogy, uh, Moses is part of the house, just like we are, actually, in a way, an equivalent part of the house to you, to to the Parks Church. God's house is his people. God's house is the church. So Moses is a faithful, holy brother uh, with a heavenly calling, just like you have, part of the family, but part of the house. And Jesus is greater because he made the house. So he made Moses. Anything that Moses uh, does in terms of of actions or whatever comes from Jesus's making him, empowering him uh, for that to be able to happen. So he's not only a prophet and a priest, as we see in 1 and 2, but he's also the builder. And this has some pretty big implications on what it means to consider him. So as the builder, it means that he considered us first. So our ability to consider him comes from him considering us first. Okay? So let's look at 5 and 6. Keep going here. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So under what authority does Christ do all of these things? And we see the text introduce him as the son here. Moses the servant, Jesus the son. Often uh, when we see the word servant, you may, you may remember this, Paul uses it a lot. The, the, the word servant is usually used in the context of being a, a slave. And consistent with like the whole paragraph here, uh, this word that he uses for, for servant is actually looks more like noble appointment. So it's this continuing theme as Moses having a place of honor uh, within God's stories from, from Numbers. And here in Hebrews, the, the writer is saying that that Moses was faithful in this noble appointment uh, to testify to God's plan as a servant. The difference between the servant and the son is what? The son, uh, by inheritance, owns the house, is the Lord over the house. The house is the son's and provides for those in the house out of his wealth. So the servants receive their provision from the Son. This is, this is amazing news, and this is, this is introducing uh, Jesus' kingship and his 
faithfulness, that we, the church, are this house that he's referring to. So when he says Jesus is faithful over the house, he's talking about us. He is talking about the Parks Church. He's talking about the church. Jesus builds, provides for, out of his record, his wealth, his holiness, his righteousness, and then is king over his house. But then we see this word in here that should cause some of us to, to pause. I don't know if you caught it or not. The word if. Says Jesus is faithful if, right? And, and we don't have time to unpack the if today. We need about nine weeks to do that. Um, and so we're not going to dive too too much into that. We are going to unpack that. This this warning, this if, this this warning about falling away from faith. We see it in Matthew and James. Uh, we're going to see it again next week, really briefly, and then we're going to see it in quite uh, some detail in chapter six within Hebrews. And then again in chapter 12. So, so we're not skirting the issue. We, we really want to address this and, and walk through this faithfully because it is a big question. We start to ask, well, hold on a sec. Uh, if it's so, is, does that mean that I can lose my faith? Does that mean that I have a bigger role to play in this? I thought, I thought this was a free, th- how does this work? Can raise some really big questions, so we want uh, to address those. The only thing I'll say about that is, uh, is your salvation is neither earned nor maintained by your works, neither earned nor maintained by your works. So what I don't want is for us to take on the anxiety of thinking, oh man, I've got to create my action plan now to maintain what the Lord has, has given me. And we'll, we'll get into the kind of breakdown for this um, at a later time. But today, we're going to focus on uh, the how. How do we do that? And we're going to look at considering Jesus uh, being the key to holding fast and boasting in, in confidence. But if, if we're going to do that, that's the how. Considering Jesus is, is what we're saying is the how, then uh, what does that mean, right? What, what does it mean to consider Jesus? Great question. And the answer uh, is, in how we're going to talk about it today, is uh, to consider Jesus is to intentionally listen to the ongoing invitation of the gospel and act whatever the cost. It's this wrestling with what the gospel means, not, not just what it is, not just that you can explain it, but what does the gospel actually mean for everything, for every corner of my life, and, and, and how do we actually uh, submit to this? So we see that considering Jesus is not, not just this static point in time when we put our faith in Christ, although we, we do that when we make that decision, but it's this ongoing decision. It, it's something that we're doing every day, con- considering what the gospel means. And it's often simple, ordinary things. It's not complex, theological head stuff, right? So we see that becoming a Christian and being a Christian, they happen in the same way. By hoping in Jesus, this, this kind of hoping that produces confidence and, and a boasting in Jesus. So if, if our action is to consider Jesus with the context that Jesus made the way for you to do that, so don't take this out of context, if our action is to, is to consider Jesus and the conclusion is Jesus is better, what happens in between those two things? How, how do we get to that conclusion that Jesus is better? So the good news is, 
we see in the text that he's faithful over his house, right? He's faithful over the church. He's faithful over your life. So he's, he's going to make uh, a way for us to do that. He built a way. He, he did extended the invitation. He's also going to make a, a way for us to do this. And typically, considering Jesus, what that looks like is it's an ongoing process that happens in a community of people. It's marked by prayer. It's led with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the revelation of Scripture, not, not just on a Sunday morning, but in, in your life with, with your level of community, right? And it's demonstrated through action and response to what the Lord has given us to do, what he's asked of it. It's much, more, it's much simpler than we want to admit. We often make this way too complicated. Uh, spending time with the Lord, reading our Bibles, spending time with him in prayer, living in deep community, right? No new formula, no new formulas today. Very old formula, right? He got it right the first time. Uh, but making its way into every area of our lives happens over our lifetime. So it, it is this very simple thing, but it's this, this oh, to use Eugene Peterson's kind of quote, it, it's, it's this long obedience in the same direction. It's, it's not this thing that I decided long ago, and now I go about my, my life. I, I personally, I have this ongoing struggle with what success looks like. I don't, I don't know if any of you have this trouble where, uh, and it kind of comes and goes, like I'll get a really good clarity on it, and then all of a sudden I'm confused again. And, and it's not uh, misappropriately put. Like I, I, it, it is, I'm trying to view it from a kingdom lens, but it, it, struggling with like what is the best thing to do? Like is this good or is that good or is that better? Is that better for the kingdom even? Is this a more redemptive thing? than that thing to do, right? And, and I really had this uh, kind of, like I said, it comes and goes, was wrestling through this a couple of weeks ago, and I was processing through, okay, well, how could I use an example that would, that would relate to how I would process through that? And, and how that ended up getting resolved was over months of time, processing through that with the people who were within my, my close community, praying through that, looking at Scripture, pouring over Scripture to see what the Lord um, says about that, uh, before he finally brought this, this clarifying moment in my life that allowed me to surrender the things that I had put in the place of what God says about what success looks like. So I, I, can, I intellectually understand what success looks like in the kingdom. I can walk you through it. Uh, I theologically can deconstruct what, what God says about success. Uh, but that making its way into what I actually believe is this, is this ongoing process. I don't know if you can relate to that um, in any way. And, and last week, Kyle, Kyle was talking about this question that, that haunts, not haunts him, but that, that's a struggle for him, which is why did salvation happen to, have to happen the way that it did? Like, why did Jesus have to come and be a man and die and have this horrific thing? Why did it have to be like that? And this question is, is, is one that I really struggle with. So why... Why do we have to wrestle with what the gospel means? You know? Like, why can't we just hear it and, and know it, and then everything within our life starts to look exactly like Jesus? Why is there this thing that has to happen in between hearing it and that becoming a reality in, in, in my actions in my life looking like that? Why, why is that there? And I wrestle with that. You know, I would love for, to just hear it and boom, action. Maybe some of you have figured that out. Uh, I have not. I have not. But it reminds me of learning how to swim. And I, I would, 
guess most of us learn how to swim in a, in a similar way. And my first experience with learning to swim uh, was actually my grandfather throwing me in a lake <laughs> with no life jacket on. It was kind of this old school sink or swim kind of a thing. Um, didn't love it. <laughs> didn't love it. I don't recommend it. Please don't do that to your, to your kids. Um, thankfully, that is not what the Lord does with us. He does not throw us in a lake without a life jacket. What he does looks more like what, thankfully, my aunt did, which is to work with me over time to increase the level of risk and vulnerability within my swimming to shape me into a great swimmer. And we would start out in the shallow end, start out close to the ledge. Uh, she would be with me and then start to, to kind of step back, step back, step back. And then over time, I developed the ability to be a really good swimmer. But it took a lot of time and it took a lot of, of building for me to be able to do that. And the goal all along was not for me uh, to learn how to swim. The goal is for me to be able to reap the benefits of what being a great swimmer means. It means that I can go diving and look at the, the floor of the ocean to see what's down there. I can play uh, water volleyball. I can I could do triathlons. Emphasis on could do. <laughs> triathlons. But this is like beauty of being able to, to swim. And so when I think about it like that, I, I really feel like that kind of processing, that in-between that we have to do, is really this beautiful expression of the Lord's love for us to be able to, to shape us more and more so into being able to rest in and live in the fullness of what he has for that, for what he has for us. And, and he does that um, over time. And, and then as he does that, Jesus is better, like what, what we're using as a reference point for Hebrews, it starts to be something that I deeply believe versus something that I just know or could, could repeat. But what can happen over time is, is we don't pay attention, right? We drift, kind of back to chapter, chapter 2. Lots of ways that we drift. We don't operate in this design that he has for us. We don't step into that vulnerability, into that risk uh, to let him shape us. Safety starts to sound better. We get out of the pool and, and we sit in the chair by the pool because it feels more safe, right? Vulnerability and tension, that's hard to know is, is enough. Uh, ironically, that's the, the opposite of safety. Uh, and in talking about confidence, we, we, we know how the story ends, all right? So we get to live in this tension of already but not yet. Jesus' work is completed, but there's this time that he is using here now uh, to shape us more and more so into, our, into his image. So because we know how it ends, we get to run into that. We get to step into vulnerability. We get to step into risk. We get to let him teach us how to swim with confidence because we know what the end result is. But safety for some of us is not enough. Some of us move from, from considering Jesus to safety to control. We decide that we're actually a better builder than he is. We kind of take on the role of builder in our life. And Jesus warns about this, right? He warns about the Pharisees searching the scriptures for life, taking control, dictating what it should be, but missing the point completely, missing Jesus in their searching. Control can take many forms. This, I, look, I'm guilty of, of this one. Uh, control takes many forms, but 
the end result is always the same. That the end result of control is, is suffering, and not the kind of suffering that is in alignment with the hope that we have in Jesus. So there is no way for us to hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope without this constant considering of Jesus and his work, without this lifelong discovery of what the gospel means in every corner of our lives. We have to pay close attention. We have to respond to that. We have to respond to that, always. There's always a response. Thankfully, he's the prophet. He's the priest. He's the builder. He's the founder. He's the son. He's the king. He's made a way for all that to happen, is the way that that happens, right? But there can only be one king, so it's either Jesus or it's us. So is he worth considering? Is he, is he worth all that? Is he, is he worth following and hoping in? The cost is high. Look, don't, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. The cost to follow Jesus is your life. That is the cost. There is no cheap version uh, there is no version where there's no tension. There, that does not exist in the walk with Jesus. It is always your life is the cost. Is he worth following? He's worth following. And if that's something that, that you're considering for the first time, I would just really encourage you to step out into faith. Step out into faith and, and answer the call that the Spirit is, is putting on you to consider Jesus and respond to that by giving your life to him, by putting your hope in him. For most of us, we've considered Jesus that first time, right? I pray our considering of Jesus would become this ongoing rhythm for our life. It would be what we do, what we talk about, that you would hold fast to your confidence, that this would become a reality for you, that the gospel would find its way into every aspect of your life. Not something you know only, but something that, that infiltrates every area of your life. And we could truly say, uh, in boasting, it's the only time the Bible gives permission for boasting, we could say in boasting that, that Jesus really is better. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a gift it is when we'll never be able to wrap our heads around that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would make a way, that this is even a possibility for us is a great gift, a great grace, a great mercy. We do not deserve that. You do not owe us that. But you've made this way. You've, in, you've invited us into your family. You're inviting us every day to step into more and more and more of what you have for us. You're forming us, discipling us into your, into your image. And so we, we state as, as your house, this is your house, your people, uh, we state we, we believe in the name of Jesus. We believe in the name of Jesus. And all this stuff that we brought in, some celebrations, some longings, some failures, 
some anxiety. All of it, we, we, put, we put at your feet. We, we take on your yoke. We trust that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. What it means to follow you is life. We believe that. And I pray that our lives would demonstrate, not just our words would say, but our, our, our lives would demonstrate that, that Jesus is better. He's better than all this, better than what the world has to offer. He's, he's better, and that our lives would, would mimic that. Thank you for even giving us the chance to do this. Thank you for your spirit who helps us in our considering. Thank you for your example Thank you for your word that shows us the path. We love you. This house loves you. You're better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.